the woman is investigating the pizza truck that like, yeah, kills yeah, people. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> pizza truck kills people. <laughs> it, it injures one person. <laughs> what if a pizza truck killed everybody? <laughs> another episode of We Explain Movies. I'm Kimmy. I'm Kayleen. And I'm Courtney. And this is the podcast where three best friends explain, rate slash review, and decide whether or not to see the latest and greatest or most beloved classics of film. This means each week, two or one of us will explain a movie to the other two or one of us in its entirety. Since this is a center for spoilers, if you haven't seen this week's movie, tune out and tune back in once you have. For other spoiler timestamps, check out our Instagram and Twitter at We Explain Movies. Here's how it's going to go. We're going to start off with what we watched this week, move into some movie-related questions, followed by the explanation, and then we're going to close out with our watchlist ads and recommendations. You're listening to We Explain Movies. Hi. This week, I will be explaining the plot of Midnight Special by Jeff Nichols to Courtney and Kayleen. Hello, hello! Happy post-Oscars podcast! For us, it was yesterday. For you, it was probably weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) But we are all still high off of that parasite win. Yes! Go Bong! Yes. Go Bong! He really, like, he got all the big boys he was nominated for. I know. It's fucking cool. I love that after his first award, I called out, like, he was, you know, holding that Oscar and looking at it so adoringly, like a father holding a newborn baby. (laughs) And I was like... Later on, you're going to just be like, you're not going to know where to put him. Yeah. And he, he did. He was like double, double fisting. Yeah. Yeah. And like you had said, when everyone stood up for Martin Scorsese, I was like, guys, it's Bong's moment. And you're like, he's going to get another one. <laughs> what was each of your favorite parts of the Oscars 2020? I loved the opening. Janelle Monáe I did crushed too, it. Yeah. That was that was just such a, a great way to start it. I was like set for the whole night. I just knew. I knew I was yeah. going to be in for some good stuff, and there really weren't that many surprises. There was just, like, really some high highs with everything. Parasite and JoJo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, My f- I think my two favorite wins, because I really wanted them and thought they were deserved, was JoJo for Adapted and Parasite for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I picked both of those on my ballot. <laughs> uh, I think the cats part was just killing me, especially when they did that wide shot of them giving their speech <laughs> with the cats right next to them. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was awesome. I love the maestra conductor. Yeah. Thing. Uh-huh. I thought that was so cool. She seemed so honored. She looked like a badass. Yeah, uh-huh. she did. Well, after the Oscars, you know, there have been other things. What else did you guys watch this week? I watched a bit ago, but you just watched some of it, um, <laughs> The Irishman. So I watched that a bit ago in prep for the Oscars, and it took me four sittings to get through. Not because I can't sit through a movie, but because it's a little bit longer than even movies I love that are long, and I didn't love it. So <laughs> four sittings. And it was fine. <laughs> Did you finish it? Yeah. Wow, proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at two sittings. I will definitely need a third. Yeah. Maybe a fifth. <laughs> Maybe a fifth. Maybe a seventh. I don't know. I'm tempted to just watch it every 20 minutes in little chunkets, and I just feel like kind of shaming it for being too long and treating it as though it's like a 22 or 44 right. minute. Mm-hmm. Is it really like that? It, it easily could be broken down. Like, like I just got to the part where... Um, where Kennedy is assassinated. Yeah. And so that's, like, a big deal for them because his brother, Robert Kennedy, was, like, the one investigating all the shady stuff that they were doing, and they were in, like, this big feud with him. And so 
once his brother was assassinated, like, he's definitely losing his status, and so they're just kind of like, got him. Like, we're fine. And it felt like it easily could have just been, like, either as soon as they hear Kennedy's dead, like, fade to black, and then it's, like, the credits start. Mm -hmm. And then they could have started the Mm -hmm. next week with, like, actually, that's not a problem for us. Like, here we go. Like, we're in charge now. It just feels like an episodic. Mm. Yeah. And so much of it does. Yeah. Every time, like, a big-name actor comes in, I'm like, this is the guest star of the week. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It could have been a, um, like, sharp objects length thing. Yeah. Or even Chernobyl length. If even it's, fewer it's a episodes. Totally Chernobyl length. Yeah. I feel like I'm making some people mad. Sorry if you loved The Irishman. Well, I don't plan on watching it, so <laughs> <laughs> they can scream all they want. <laughs> yeah. No, I there's things to like about it, but there's an equal amount of things to dislike about it, and that's too many for a film that's that long. You didn't so. win anything. I know. Wow. Ford v. Ferrari has more Oscars than it. Yikes. <laughs> That's unfair. Like, Judy has more Oscars than it. <laughs> oh, gosh. If I can say something, like, something that my acting coach said that he didn't like about the film is that, sure, it's really cool that you can de-age, how old are they, 60, 70-year-old men yeah. to be in their, what, supposedly, like, 50s, 40s, 50s? Yeah. But he said the biggest gripe about that is, yeah, you can change their face, but they still move like they're older totally. men. Totally. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's why I don't, you know, everyone, every so often I get like an actor friend talking to me like, oh, like CGI and shit is going to eliminate the use of human actors. I'm oh, like, y'all need to calm down. Yeah. Because there's nothing as like complex and unique as a living being. Yeah. No amount of special effects can replace that. And yeah. like, that's pretty much like living proof right there there's definitely some scenes where they can get away with it you know if they're like all sitting at the dinner table who's gonna notice but there's this one scene that i remember being pretty jolted out of his age and it was when um basically his daughter is like crying and he goes oh what happened this is robert de niro and she's like the man at the store shoved me and he's like what and he goes back to beat this guy up and he's beating him up as if he's a 60 year old man Mm -hmm. i'm like you should be a lot quicker and more <laughs> agile than this mm-hmm. as, like, a 40-year-old beating somebody up. Yeah. Uh, Kimmy, do you want to talk about what we watched? Courtney and I, in one sitting, watched <laughs> all the episodes of the Netflix series adapted from graphic novels, Lock and Key. Yeah. Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez's. And, uh, like, I don't regret that, that 10 hours. <laughs> <laughs> suppose it was a bit less. It was probably like eight. Yes, yeah. Because it was ten, like, 40-ish minute episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a solid eight-hour Saturday. I liked it. Yeah, I, I had I some qualms. Yeah. Uh, the graphic novel is way better. Sorry to come at it from that angle of, like, the book was better, but that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all I could hold the standard to, but also in a lot of ways, we talked to Kayleen about it last night. Uh, the writing was very cringy at times it's just subpar i just think that there's like writers around here who are like we're gonna make these people sound like how kids talk nowadays yes and that's like not how they talk oh yeah stop trying to be hip like i love the film flower and oh. book smart because of the way that the kids talk in that eighth grade it's like it's eighth still, grade is perfect eighth grade it's still script people aren't as eloquent as they are in real life i mean i'm sorry they're not as eloquent in films You know what I'm fucking trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) That films always are going to sound better because there's not all the ums and likes and whatever. Yeah, but it caught, like, the cadence and, like, 
vocabulary yeah. usage that is prevalent in like normal everyday speak these days. Just spend time with a high schooler for an hour and I feel like that can solve so many problems. Mm. So it's a pretty short what we watched this week week but yeah it was a cheat week so don't judge us. <laughs> <laughs> okay so midnight special guys here are the questions. Question number one. What is your favorite Race Against the Clock movie? I'll go first. Okay. Okay, this is a basic bitch answer, but I really do like it for this reason, for this specific reason. It's Inception. Cool. Oh, nice. I just like how it feels suspenseful, and the suspense, like, intensifies over time. So, like, you're on the edge of your seat the entire movie, and it really culminates into that final, like, when... Killian Murphy is like yeah. opening it and like the, the car is going off the bridge oh, into that's the so water. Cool, yeah. It's like mm-hmm. it's so like anxiety ridden and you're like, are they gonna do it in time? And it dissipates into yeah. like a calm and you're like, Oh, they did it or did they? Like, oh no. Well and also like <laughs> you see every level like about to get screwed up if they don't do it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it does that race against the clock thing really well. That was my answer. Cool. <laughs> I feel cheap this week. <laughs> but you guys like this movie, and it's true. 1917. Hey. Oh, yeah. That is true. Yeah. yeah. That's the whole plot. That is yeah. true. Yeah. Get there right. before this thing happens. I actually didn't even think of that one. I'm like, thank God I don't have to talk about clock stoppers or something. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that, and then I was like, does it count if the clock is always stopped? <laughs> when I Googled this question, I wrote, race against time movies. And the fucking movie called Race Against Time. Yeah, 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 Harrison Ford came out. I was like, oh, great. And then, I mean, yeah, there's just a whole lot of movies. I I was telling them before we recorded, like, I can't get out of my head, like, the movie voiceover guy just being, like, before it happens. (laughs) I don't know. Or a character just being like, we only get one shot at this. Do you understand? In 24 hours, L.A. will be underwater. We're running out of time. (laughs) There's no time. Yeah. I'm thankful that doesn't happen in 1917. Yeah. Instead, it's just uh, two men given a very simple mission, or is it, because... Or is it, yeah. If they don't do it within, what, the nine hours that they have to reach this battalion, they're all gonna die. And I think that that's just, like, a really uh, unique premise for a war movie to, like, give it within the constraints of time and then also to do it in a one-shot, obviously, is, mm-hmm. is what it's notable mm-hmm. for. Yeah, you feel like you're on that mission with them. It really feels like a video game the more and more I think about it, of mm-hmm. it, you essentially just being, yeah. like, a first-person player, and then you also meet different, like, bosses along right. the way. Yeah. <laughs> Who all give you a hard time. Right, you have to get to the Benedict Cumberbatch boss. <laughs> And the Richard Madden sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty fun. Yeah. And then, I mean, like, Andrew Scott is basically just, like, you know, the guy who's like, oh, I wouldn't if I were <laughs> He gives you a weapon to put in your weapons belt. Right. And then you also, like, you collect other things along the way that you also need, like, the milk for a baby that you'll <laughs> meet one day. I just, I think that this Wow, was, I think it, you're onto something, Courtney. this was intended to be a video game. Serenity sequel? <laughs> Serenity prequel. Ooh, <laughs> so World War One. <laughs> yeah, nineteen seventeen is a it's a total answer to this question. It's just funny when you know, like we're thinking about we all like pull from our repertoire of movies mm-hmm. that we have, and so this is just like sorry, it just happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's my answer. 
Okay, I have three honorable mentions. I'm just gonna bullet Holy out. Holy crap! Yeah. How did you find so many? I didn't. They're speed, just in speed my two, speed three. <laughs> <laughs> they're in my memory bank of just like old movies that are about time, and they they kind of have to do with time travel, but it's also very like choppy time travel where they don't really have control over it. So those movies are Out of Time, starring Denzel Washington. Deja Vu, starring Denzel Washington. John Q, starring Denzel Washington. Total race against time movie. Really? <laughs> yeah, his son is going to die if he doesn't find a, a heart transplant for him. So he like holds the entire hospital oh. hostage. And he's like, who's going to give me a heart? So apparently Denzel's, Denzel's the king of time. Yeah, and you're the time travel queen. Yeah. So also, I know like, all about these time movies. His I have one son more. is going to be in a time travel movie. Is it about time travel? Something to do oh, with it's time. It's got something Tenet. on Tenet. Tenet, like, yeah. so, Something's off with their clocks there. <laughs> <laughs> Those clocks sure seem fishy. The Those next trailer Washington's we get. Washington's and their clocks. Right? <laughs> clocks run in our family. Clocks. They hate them. Uh, last one is Premonition, Sandra Bullock. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my real answer is The Ring, which I just saw this Halloween season. Oh, yeah. Nice. And they have seven days to figure out how to stop people from being killed in seven days. Race against the days. Race yeah. against the days. Race against the little girl in the well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like the ending of that movie. Yeah. It's a like, good movie. Like, I like all the stuff to do with the well, and then I like the kind of twist afterwards. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. The fucking loft shit in the barn is freaking scary. Yeah. It's so scary, like, watching it as an adult, too, because as a child, I was just like, she has long black hair, and she's <laughs> yeah. wet and climbs out of your TV. But now I'm like, oh, she was, like, horribly abused in a barn. Yeah. This horse just killed himself. <laughs> like, <laughs> But then it was like... You think that's all that it is, and then at the end it's kind of like, she was just a demon all along. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, now I can't sleep. <laughs> it's yeah. a scary one. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, my second question. What is your favorite movie that is that director's first big studio movie? So they were like in the indie scene yeah. prior to jumping to blockbuster type films. Sick. I kind of want to go first. I'll go second. No. <laughs> if, if you guys... Uh, what were you going to say? Was it going to be, if you guys take my answer, I'm going to kill you? <laughs> <laughs> no, if, if you guys take my answer, I don't have another answer. I won't take oh. your answer. I'll start? You definitely... I definitely haven't seen these movies. Nope. Okay, go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go first. <laughs> After this fight. <laughs> Put them up. We'll do the office thing. Yeah. We all have guns pointed at each other. <laughs> My honorable mention is from the only thing this man has directed after being a writer for just years and years, as well as an actor on Veronica Mars. Oh, no idea who you're going to pick. Comes out of the woodwork. It's Taylor Sheridan for the film Wind River. Oh. Yeah, and Wind River is amazing. And and just to, to be, like, he's a, he's a phenomenal writer. He's done Heller High Water, Sicario and Wind River, and some other stuff, and he's got stuff coming out, but that's the only thing he's directed. He's getting another directing gig this year, and I'm really excited to watch it. The film was released through Lionsgate after, you know, getting picked up by Mm. He Who Should Not Be Named, and then (laughs) Taylor Sheridan actually, like, when all the Me Too stuff happened, he was like, get him out of here. Nice. And uh, donated the money that he put into the budget to charity. Sick. Wow. Yeah. That's my honorable mention, and then my real answer, Birds of Prey. Oh. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, like, wanted to know what Kathy Ann has been up to. Not much. So, like, thrilling. Super exciting stuff that she she doesn't have, like, a big, like, range of indie movies that I can go out and Mm -hmm. watch. Um, And she crushed it. 
to to be like what the only yeah. the second woman in the DCEU to like have yeah. a movie ready to go and to to do it to this level and to just have such flair and style with everything that she did um like the just the difference in the gaze of which Harley Quinn is viewed from Suicide Squad to this movie mm-hmm. mm. is amazing it's so funny. It's so stylized. There's definitely a lot of things that I just know had to have been because women were in the conversation and there were so many women working behind the scenes. And I just would love to see what she does next. I have no idea what she's got coming up next. Yeah. Do you think she'll continue to work on the rest of the Birds of Prey movies? Oh, that'd be super cool. Yeah. Especially since, like, Patty Jenkins gets to do, like, the next Wonder Woman and right. everything. I just, like, don't totally know what's going on with that. I, I hope that there's like they've said in different times, going to be a three-movie arc to this with Birds of Prey, then Gotham City Sirens, then Gotham City Sirens versus Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. Like, that's my dream. So, Kathy Ann is my answer. Dope. Okay, my answer is another basic bitch answer, but it's an important answer, and here it is. Catherine Hardwick for Twilight. Oh, cool. She only Lovely. did three other movies mm-hmm. prior to... Twilight. It is the highest rated Twilight of all the rest and every movie consecutively after Catherine Hardwick was was directed by a male. Interesting. Disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I think that's super important and and she doesn't get enough credit and she went on to do not as great of movies. I don't know. It was just you know, lack of opportunity. I don't know. It it sucks. Yeah. That is really unfair. I, I read a super good article she wrote in 2018 of, like, Twilight 10 years later, how it feels to be a woman whose franchise was given over to men. And it's like, they only got oh, yeah. worse after that. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you look at the comparison of the first Twilight and the fifth, just think about how much better it would have been if you kept it in the same hands. Yeah. Or if just similar hands. The tone, hands. the color, like... Just, like, everything about it. I, I love the first one the most. Mm. It's, like, it's so, like, you can almost, I keep using this word tangible, but, like, the way that it feels, the atmosphere is, like, so, it's a mood. I definitely like that one for its mood. The third one is my favorite, though. I love two and three. your favorite? Yeah, third one's my favorite. Wow. But the first one does, in a way, feel different than all the others, and I don't mean that in a negative way, it just feels like it was in someone else's hands. I would say in a positive way. Yeah. It's the most iconic in my opinion of like I would know, agree just with that. different moments and stuff. Okay. Well, both of mine I struggled with a little because I wanted to make sure that the movies they've done before wouldn't be considered big studios and I don't think that they are and also the movies that I'm going to name were definitely like the biggest studios so they should count, I think. Anyway, first one is Alfonso Cuarón for Prisoner of Azkaban, because yeah. before that he pretty much did only, um, I believe, Spanish-produced films, and then maybe, like, a couple others, but they were pretty small. He did a little princess, didn't he? Yeah, I don't know what that is. Oh, I oh, love a little it's princess. It's so good. Gaylene, you would love oh, it. It's amazing. I, I don't know if you would love it as much now seeing it as an adult, but I wish that would have made its way into your childhood. I kind of feel like I watched it. What happened No, it would have had an incredible impact oh, on you. Okay. No, it's a magical film. <laughs> oh. It's great. Well, I have another answer if that one doesn't satisfy you, but obviously Prisoner of Azkaban is huge deal. Yeah. And I think like one or two movies before that was E Tu Mama Tambien, which is much more artsy and low budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my other one, which is probably the one you were thinking of, is Taika Waititi yeah. for Thor Ragnarok. I was like, I wonder if what we do in the shadows was considered 
big studio, but from what I found on the internet, I think it was still produced by Little Studios, even though that was his bigger budget film at the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Ragnarok, I mean, geez, everyone... Yeah, take a major leap there, why don't you? Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, maybe we should give more of these <laughs> Oh, cool... it was super successful? <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah, and now he's going to do the next Thor, and I can't wait. Everything yeah, no. that guy touches is gold. Yeah, really, he hasn't made a bad movie. Yeah. Okie doke, you guys. We're going to get into Midnight Special. I'm excited. Yay. I didn't let you guys watch the trailer because it gives a lot away, but what do you guys think this movie is about? You definitely need to give me something. (laughs) I have zero. I've never seen a poster. Oh. I only know who's in it because you told me. Kirsten Dunst and uh, Michael Shannon. And Jaden, his new name is Martell. It used to be Lieberher from It. Mm -hmm. Played Bill. Oh. He changed his last name, so it's that kid. Jaden Martell. And then Adam Driver. Mm -hmm. Oh. So, from what I understand from a trailer that I saw years ago, it's Michael Shannon's son or the boy that he finds. (laughs) It's one of the two. Uh, He's just very special and magical, and he's got like these glowing blue eyes. And he also just keeps speaking about the place they need to get to or somewhere like that. And then it's like people want him. They want the boy. And so that's like the race against time is to get him away from them. And also maybe, I don't know, to get him back to his spaceship in time. And Adam Driver wants the boy. Kirsten Dunst is like the neighbor or the boy's teacher who's like, I request a parent-teacher conference. Your son has glowing blue eyes. (laughs) And it's just, like, weird and quirky and, I don't know, like a, like a normal, precocious, special child. Is the vibe of this, what genre is this movie? It is actually a sci-fi 80s homage film. Oh, cool. Mm. Like, you know, 80s sci-fi homage. So, like, an E.T. type situation. Yep. The poster is him wearing a blanket the way that, like, E.T. does in the basket. Is it actually? (laughs) Isn't Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Oh. yeah, he's under a sheet. Mm-hmm. Oh. Just like E.T. was. Okay, well then, alright, I'm gonna have to get outlandish because I know nothing. So, yeah, let's say that, uh, okay, let's say Michael Shannon has a tragic backstory. Maybe we don't even get to know it until later, but like say he lost a child or something like that. Uh-huh. And now either, maybe he lost a child and a wife or he lost a child and then that's why he and his wife aren't together. And so he finds this little boy somewhere, or maybe it's kind of like Eleven from Stranger Things, where, you know, that nice man in the diner sees her and is trying to help her, so Michael Shannon maybe has this impression that this boy was abused or on the run, and so he's trying to help him, and then along the way, the boy is saying crazy things, kind of like, you know, a Bruce Willis character from 12 Monkeys, and Michael Shannon's like, you're a crazy little kid, quite an imagination you got there. And then eventually starts to believe the things he's saying. Maybe he even has some superpowers that he... Or, like, he does weird things Telekinesis. around the house. Yeah, like, books fall off the shelf and Michael Shannon goes, Whoa, how'd that happen? And the little boy smirks. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I'm gonna guess that Adam Driver is kind of like the papa in this situation if we're tying it to Stranger Things, okay. which is also tying it to E.T. Um, oh, maybe there will be those those fun parallels too of like what is water or oh. what is book you we're know? gonna get a teaching montage yeah, yeah. understand normal things 
And then if this is like those other stories, Adam Driver will be the guy who's trying to get his experiment back for some evil reason. And maybe it's even like, yeah, maybe if they don't get the boy to his, quote, spaceship or like back to his real parents or something or like back to the lab, then the boy's going to die. Or maybe the boy is inevitably dangerous in the way that Elsa from Frozen is where he can't control his powers. So if they don't get him back somewhere, he's going to accidentally explode the universe or something. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Kirsten Dunst is just a bystander who gets mixed up in this. Maybe she's a friend of Michael Shannon's or like a sister and she just shows up at the house and then the kid's there and she goes, who's this kid? And he has to explain it and then she's kind of caught up in the adventures and then I think at the end they're going to have to say goodbye to the boy and it's going to be sad. Yeah, they'll have to do that. I'll go out on a limb and say that she is like the town teacher and she finds the boy in the garbage and brings him to Michael Shannon. Oh, God. And it's like, I know you lost your son. <laughs> Here's a replacement. It's a garbage I found kid. a replacement son. <laughs> I need a garbage because he likes to eat garbage. <laughs> and then the only word he uses in the whole film is, mmm, garbage. Garbage day. <laughs> oh, no. That's the day he's found one. <laughs> It's your birthday. It's garbage day. day. It's garbage day. It's garbage day. (laughs) Those are my thoughts. Cool. Great. I feel good about it. Are there any fun names we can guess or no? Is it like Tom and Tim? (laughs) Yeah, they're they're pretty... Thomas. um, I mean, they have interesting names for a reason, but none that I'll be able to give you hints about. It might give something away. Okay. All right, here goes. Uh, I'm a couple... Fun facts before I get into the start of this movie. First, Jeff Nichols is the writer and director, and I believe that he writes all the films that he directs. I didn't deep dive too much about it, but I don't think he's directed much, and the only two movies where he's a producer on, he's not the writer or director. What are some other movies? Loving, Mud, and Take Shelter. Oh, interesting. This, uh, next fun fact... This is Jeff Nichols' fourth film to feature Michael Shannon. He loves him. Loves him. Makes sense. Who doesn't? I know. (laughs) Um, Lastly, and this ties into one of the movie-related questions, um, because he wanted to have the final cut of the film, Jeff Nichols originally considered making this film with another independent film studio rather than Warner Brothers Pictures, and it wasn't until the last meeting with Warner Brothers that he informed them of this, and they just they decided that they would agree to doing the film anyways, especially since the film required a really small budget. Nice. All right. The movie opens. As we're going through the opening credits, we can hear TV channels flipping, and one of them says it's Fort Worth, so it's indicating that we're in Texas. A breaking news report can be heard issuing an Amber Alert. <gasps> We get the first shot of the film, which is a piece of duct tape covering the eye hole of a motel door. Mm. The Amber Alert says that they don't have a picture of the missing child yet, but they do know that the child is Alton Meyer. He's eight years old. We meet um, the first character, Lucas, who is played by Joel Edgerton. Edgerton? Mm. Right, right, right. Edgerton? Edgerton? I don't know. His name is Lucas. Lucas peels back the duct tape and peeks out the hole. He turns around and he says, it's time. And then we see Roy Tomlin, played by Michael Shannon, also in the motel room. Mm. 
he's getting ready and they're watching the Amber Alert and they show a photo of him, Roy, claiming that he's the one who took the boy. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. All the curtains in the room are drawn and behind them the windows are boarded up with cardboard. Mm. Uh, they also have a ton of guns and mm. they start to pack everything up. Roy kneels down to a sheet on the ground and he pulls it back and it reveals Alton, who's played by Jaden Lieberher. Mm-hmm. He's wearing blue swimming goggles over his eyes and giant noise-canceling headphones over his ears. And he's reading a comic book under there. And Roy says, it's time, and picks him up. They all, like, share a cautious look before they leave the, ro- the motel room. And it's dusk. And, and the boy doesn't seem scared? Nope. Okay. Uh, the front desk woman sees them leaving, and she's watching the news report, and she reports and dials 911. Aw. In the car, they have a police scanner, and they hear all the cops on there, and they have a complete description of the car now. Yeah. They're like, oh, shoot. Lucas drives them down a one-way road that's fully dark, and he puts night vision goggles on and drives without the headlights on so oh. they can't be seen. Nice. Well, they're very prepared. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now we come to a place called The Ranch, which is a religious cult in rural Texas. Oh, nice. Pastor Calvin Meyer oh, is no. there. He's played by Sam Shepard. What? Oh, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. That guy's just popping up everywhere. And he's not in it for very long, but, you know, I don't think he's in in movies that he's in for very long anyways. <laughs> yeah, you know? stuff to do. He's like, I'll yeah. show up, do my one day of shooting, I'm out of here, yeah. you know? He sees the report. He's there with two parishioners. They're watching the report. It looks like they already know that the kid is missing. And he sends his parishioners to retrieve Alton. He tells them, we must get him back in time. Do you understand? Then uh, Pastor Calvin Meyer has to go face his congregation. It seems like he's going to do like a regular sermon. But then FBI storms in their church and separates the congregation for questioning. Now we're back in the car with Lucas, Roy, and Alton. Lucas, Roy, they've gone past three state lines already. They're going pretty fast in the dark. And he's like, it's time to slow down now. We're going so fast we can't afford the cops to catch us for speeding or anything like that. Okay. Just as he flicks the brights back on, another car juts out in front of him. And to avoid it, they cause that other car to crash into a different oncoming car. So Mm. it's... So they avoided it, but two cars have crashed, okay? Lucas jumps out of the car to go and check on the driver's woman passed out in the front seat, but a police car, kind of in the distance, sees them and comes over. As the officer's looking at the woman, Lucas says she has a head wound, you need to call for backup right now, you need to get her help. But he, the, the cop sees the car and sees it matches the description of the Amber Alert and he goes for his gun, but Lucas pulls out his own gun, and Roy has his shotgun yeah. from their car. They've got the cop at gunpoint. And Lucas is forced to shoot the officer. Wow. He uses officer's calm to report officer down so that cops can come and help him out. Oh, gosh. They get back in the car, and they flee the scene. Roy says to Lucas, you did the right thing. Alton is more important. And Lucas says, well, you didn't just shoot a state trooper. Yeah. Mm. Back at the ranch, Agent Miller, who's played by... Courtney's least favorite villain, <laughs> oh. Paul Sparks, who is the... Paul uh, Sparks? Yeah, he's the stepdad from Thoroughbreds. Oh, he creeps me out. Yeah, he's he's a creepy guy. Yeah. Um, he's questioning Pastor Calvin Myers, who says that he's Alton's adopted father, 
and the birth father is actually Roy Tomlin. Oh, oh. it is his baby. Mm-hmm. Then, NSA communications analyst Paul Sevier, who's played by Adam Driver, walks in to assist. Fun fact, according to director Jeff Nichols, Adam Driver's first day on set was the same day he got the news he would be in Star Wars. Oh, that's fucking that's cool. That's so cute. You know, isn't that cool? Oh, that is cool. I don't know if it's true, but that's what Nichols said. <laughs> Sevier asks Calvin how numbers sent via encoded satellite transmission made their way into his sermons. Since they're so heavily encrypted, it would be virtually impossible to get them and it would surely be grounds for punishment for treason. Calvin explains that Alton speaks in tongues and gave the numbers to Calvin and he interprets them into his sermons and stuff. Hmm. And they're like shocked at that. And Calvin says to the men, you have no idea what you're dealing with, do you? (laughs) Sam. <laughs> We're pretty much done with Sam Shepard now. Okay, <laughs> He's bye. not in the movie anymore. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. That's not quite true, but I don't think I mention him anymore. Oh, yeah. Roy and Lucas, they see cover at a home of a, a former ranch member named Eldon. We learn that Eldon left the ranch some time ago, but says sometimes he still misses it. And who's Eldon? Eldon's someone that they've gone to seek refuge with. Apparently, Roy gave Eldon coordinates to decode that were given by one of Alton's speaking in tongues or something. He says that no one at the ranch has been able to decode the actual coordinates, just the date. So it's revealed that they have to get to a certain place on a certain day for some reason. Mm. They put Alton to bed, but it's just about to be morning. So for some reason, they're putting... Alton to bed during the day. So sometime while Alton is supposed to be sleeping, an earthquake seems to wake up Roy and Lucas. They break down the door to Alton's room and they find him linked to Eldon by blinding beams of light directly from his eyes into Eldon's. Wow. Roy knocks out Eldon and covers up Alton. He's like screaming in pain, Alton is, Mm. and he's trying to cover his eyes up and stuff. So it's revealed that they can't actually move during the day. They only have to move at night because during because um, Alton has these de- destructive supernatural powers which are exposed during direct sunlight. Mm. Oh. Okay? But also whenever he takes his goggles off? He can take his goggles off. It's just like during the sunlight, that's when they beam out. But is oh. it? Do you have to be in the sunlight? Because I thought he was like in a room that trapped him from the sun. We don't see it happen, but it looks like... Eldon pulled back the paper Ah. so that son would get in so they could do the I-beam thing. I see. Okay. Back at the ranch, Sevier is conducting interviews with ranch members. All of them reveal how Alton's powers have made him kind of like the central figure of the congregation so much that they moved their sermons to the night. One woman says that Alton has been with Calvin for just about two years now and that his mother abandoned him. And they revealed that Alton's presence at the ranch is considered necessary for them to be saved from a coming apocalypse. So they need to get Alton back into the presence of their congregation because this date that they've revealed from the sermons is somehow linked to the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Doomsdayers. Yeah. All right, it's night again, back at Eldon's house. And Roy's kind of like deciding whether or not he's going to execute Eldon for his betrayal. He's like, you know where we're going. I don't think that we can keep you alive. And Eldon says, I'm sorry, but I had to see again. Roy says, you knew better. 
and they decide to leave him alive. You know. Okay. Roy's not a murderer. Okay. Uh, they take Eldon's van and continue on towards a location that Alton has specified. Mm. As they drive, Alton reads Superman comics. Lucas says he looks really weak, and Roy says, yeah, but he is, but he always recovers, so he'll be fine. Uh, shouldn't we go to a hospital? No. Obviously, we can't go to a hospital. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, Alton looks up at the ceiling and starts to speak in Spanish. Oh. And Roy says, Lucas looks back at him, and he's like, what the fuck? And he speaks Spanish now, and Roy says he's just scrolling through the radio station. Turn it on. And he turns the radio station on. He flips through the channels until he finds the Spanish channel that um, Alton is mimicking exactly. So is he not wearing his headphones right now? No. So he wears the headphones to, like, block out all that interference? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, they stop at a gas station. They need to get gas. It's a car. <laughs> no one gave you a funny look. <laughs> You're making it sound like we all paused. I know. I, I said it and I, it sounded weird, so I'm I sorry. felt like I needed to explain. Gas? I don't... Like, what kind of gas? <laughs> Do you mean petroleum? Oh, does he eat the gas? <laughs> he only runs on gas. Um, Roy tells Alton, stay in the van. While Roy makes a phone call to someone over the phone he calls Sarah... Alton looks up at the ceiling again, uh, like he sees something moving in the sky. And then he jumps out of the van and follows it, like as if he's compelled by its movement. Mm -hmm. He stares at the night sky until a tiny glowing moving thing appears. But a woman notices him and is like, are you alright? And Roy sees the woman talking to him, he freaks out, he runs over, get away, get away from him, he's my son. He's like, what are you doing? I told you not to leave the van. What are you doing? And Alton says, I'm sorry. And Roy, you know, who had an outburst, is like, no, it's okay. I shouldn't have left you. And Alton says, no, I'm sorry. And they look up. We pan (sighs) out. And there's falling pieces of satellite debris Ah. plummeting straight for them. It crashes into the gas station. They run back into the van and they drive away. As it's, like, left in exploding shambles Oh, my gosh. Yikes. Alton's nose is bleeding, like, profusely. Of course it is. (laughs) (laughs) That should have been a question. It's your favorite nosebleed character. There's always a nosebleed character. It's always a superpower. Yeah. I want to see something gross, like, somebody just gets, like, tons of boogers come out their nose or something. (laughs) Or their eyeballs bleed. Ew, yeah, their eyes bleed. They just earwax is just, like... Yeah. (laughs) Blood yeah. comes out their ears or out their mouth or out their butt. They just fart a lot, you know? <laughs> I, I, Actually, I was, I'm pretty sure that's an SNL skit. It's really? like, yeah, Natalie Portman plays like Eleven, and then it's the the season where it's like Eleven finds all those friends, and one of them, it's like every time they use their powers, they can't stop farting. I mean, that makes sense. You're exerting a lot of force. That is so funny. I haven't seen that. That's yeah. really funny. I actually didn't watch last time that she hosted, unfortunately. It might have even been like two times ago. It was a while ago. That's awesome. They drive to a house, and there's a woman on the steps waiting for them. It's Sarah Tomlin, Alton's mother, played by Kirsten Dunst. Okay. And she's overjoyed to be reunited with her son. It's apparent that she hasn't seen her son for a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. She's like, you look so big. Um, they seem like like a happy reunited family for like just a moment in time and stuff. Uh, They put Alton to bed and when she leaves the room to speak to the men, she reiterates that Alton doesn't look well at all. Mm. But they can't go to a hospital and they kind of argue with 
um, Roy for a little bit, and he's like, no, he'll be fine. It's fine. Meanwhile, the parishioners that the ranch dispatched show up at Eldon's house, and they beat him up, and they extract information from him. Um, I can't remember if they kill him or not, but I think it's implied that they, they waste him. Mm. Wasted. <laughs> K-O'd. <laughs> Wasted. Okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, the FBI are desperately trying to figure out where the trio is headed, and they're at the satellite crash site trying to figure out what what the business is. At Sarah's house, Sarah talks to Lucas. She says, you're not from the ranch, so how do you know Roy? And Lucas says, they used to be really good friends when they were younger, but they got estranged after Roy joined the ranch. And he explains, this, explains to Sarah that three nights ago, Randomly, Roy showed up with the kid at his doorstep asking for help. And after seeing Elton's powers, it convinced him that he had to help Roy no matter what. After they watch the news together, Elton explains that he caused the satellite crash. Um, as, fug- as the fugitives, now including Sarah, continue on, Elton appears to be growing weaker and sicker. He gets, has like shadows underneath his eyes and stuff. He seems really weak. They're convinced that they have to take him to the location of the coordinates that Owens received. Mm-hmm. Telepathically or whatever, or die trying. So they're kind of like on a, or bust mission. Yeah. yeah. While they drive, Alden suddenly has some kind of like respiratory attack and he can't breathe. And they pull over to the side of the road and light explodes out of his eyes momentarily, blinding all of them. It's actually oh. a really cool shot. Because it's just the car on the side of the road, and mm. from outside the car, we can't see into it except for, like, shining I bright see. light. After the light subsides, Alden kind of stumbles out of the car and falls onto the grass. He seems to, like, pull energy from the grass, and all the grass around him dies. It only oh. slightly recovers him. He looks pretty skeletal at this point. Yeah. It, like, yeah, it yes. happens so fast. Like, he's sunken, his cheekbones are out. Like, it's pretty bad. Alden says... We have to go. They're coming, meaning the FBI. And he points into the sky at another satellite. Alton instructs Lucas and Sarah to take the car for him and Roy to go by foot to distract the satellite. While Alton and Roy are by themselves, kind of like in the wilderness, um, they're taking a rest. And Alton tells Roy that he needs to let him see the daylight for the first time and that it might help him. Mm. Uh, while Lucas and Sarah go ahead to a motel. Roy says, it will kill you, but Alton says, I have to. Back at the FBI, Sevier finally realizes that the encoded messages are coordinates and they know, he knows where the trio uh. are going. Now we're back with Roy and Alton. Roy brings Alton to a clearing where he can see his first sunrise. And when the sun comes up, Alton screams. I don't know, it must be like really painful or something. Alton's eyes begin to glow, and Roy, like, holds him, and an enormous dome of light, like, explodes and surrounds them both. Mm. Then we cut. We finally reunite with Lucas and Sarah at the motel, and Alton is perfectly healthy. Hmm. And he peels back all of the cardboard, and he says, see, I'm fine. Look, I can do it now. He explains that seeing the sun finally helped him and he realizes his true identity now he explains that there's a world built on top of this one and that he belongs to it he glows light out of his palm 
and says that there are others who live there, and I think they're like me. Roy confirms that when they were inside the dome that he saw a glimpse of the other world too, and it's true. Interesting. Yeah. Sarah looks at her son and like she's sad, but she says, I understand. That's the halfway point. Whoa. Well. I always find it intriguing when there's like a magical child with just normal parents. Yeah, that is interesting. In an otherly seeming non-magical world. I hope we're not given a twist that he's not really theirs. Like, I really want it to be that he was born from both of them. Like, for sure. Yeah, no, she gave birth to him. Good. I think we're gonna get to, like, a final showdown situation, definitely. Like, where there's big surrounding and and Alton is in the middle of it and we'll get to see his powers be used full force. But he doesn't want to hurt people. Kind of like, you know... When you have your powers and you don't want to hurt people. <laughs> Instead of the opposite. Yeah, like an anti-chronicle situation. Anyways. Um. <laughs> an anti-chronicle yeah. situation. So, I'm thinking we have to get more Adam Driver. I mean, I guess we don't, but I would like to see more of him. So, maybe at some point, his path crosses with this group of fugitives. I would like for him to be on their side. And maybe be, you know, sometimes there's movies where the person you don't expect who actually has some power to help, like, changes sides or or helps the Mm -hmm. main characters, so I'm hoping it's something like that, something nice, where he goes, you know, with my knowledge, I can get you to the something or another machine. (laughs) And then, I don't know if this, I guess if he's mentioning the other world, he's probably going to go live there rather than just be revived, and that's kind of sad. They've yeah, only gotten eight years with him. He's not sticking around. That's a bummer. I don't know. This doesn't really help at all. I just kind of forgot to mention it. Adam Driver's character, Sevier, is, like, pretty nerdy mm. in this. He, oh, he like, loves comic books. No, he not not oh. that he <laughs> loves comic books, just that he he's not, like, the typical FBI agent. Like, he's, yeah. like, he's an analyst. He's a comms am- analyst. Then he's kind of, like, Happy to do his part. He's kind of excited to be there. He's not jaded or anything like that. So he's the good cop to Paul. What's his face? Is bad cop. Paul Sparks actually isn't really in it that much. Oh, okay. He's just kind of conducting the FBI. Okay. Then Adam's for sure gonna be on their side. Yeah. And maybe they even all just kind of like come together. I feel like we're gonna get like a very cool and or weird sequence of all of of all of Alton's downloads, like, he's definitely gonna be more in tune with his powers and, like, take off the headphones and the goggles and and be more open to listening to what's mm-hmm. out there and that sort of stuff. Well, he's not really wearing them anymore. Okay. After, after he's he just was, gonna... like, healed by the sunlight. Oh. But he has, like, hand powers now as opposed to eye powers. He, he, they go out of his eyes. He's, like, fully enveloped in light and it's, like, inside of him. He, like even pulls back his sleeve and it goes in his veins and stuff Whoa. like that. Um, and then kind of fades, but he's just kind of, like, ascended to a different, like, level of powers now. And you said Sam Shepard left, so it's like, who is the bad guy? I figured, like, the whole cult likes to, like, feed on this child. Like, they yeah, I, they let him do the, his, like, stuff and say what he needs to say and speak in tongues, and then they're all just, like, so wowed by that, and then they, like, gather around him as he beams out light or something. I do feel like I want them to be a bigger 
antagonist because I feel like that would create a lot of suspense and drama, but I don't think they will be. It sounds like at this point it's just about tracking people. I don't really think that, that this is going to happen, but I just think it would be interesting is if while this showdown is happening, maybe because he's trying to f- fight for himself slash defend himself without hurting people, maybe he accidentally opens some kind of doorway to the other world, so maybe we meet someone from this other world. I don't think so, because if it's doing an 80s homage, I think he's just gonna peacefully go into the other world. But it'd be interesting if we got some glimpse into it. I would say that the the biggest antagonist at this point is just time. Mm. Okay. You know, people are after him, preventing him from getting to a specific coordinate place. Yeah. On a specific date. But they still didn't find out the date yet, did they? They did. Everybody knows the date. Oh, they do. That's why Even the, the cops know. Even the cops know. Sevier knows the location now. The congregation knows the date. They think that's the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And that's why they want him. It just seems like one of those things where they're kind of... They have this goal and the FBI is flailing about to try to get there on time. And... I don't know. I hope there's some bigger secrets that we don't know about. Like, what? yeah, I'm very curious as to what actually does happen, if it is related to the apocalypse at all, or if it just has to do with this boy surviving. Maybe I was right, and he's gonna, like, explode into dust that destroys the Earth if he doesn't get to his real world. Ooh. So not only will he die, but everyone will. Ooh. That's all. Go for it. Okay, moving on. It's time for them to leave the hotel room. But just as they do, they're ambushed by Calvin's parishioners mm. that were dispatched from the ranch. They abduct Alton, ah. and shoot Ray and Lucas, and oh. leave oh. them zip-tied to the railing. Oh. It turns out that um, Lucas was wearing a vest, ah. and Roy got, like, his shoulders. So he's just mildly wounded. Uh, the trio escape uh, soon after the parishioners leave with Alton, and they try to chase them down in the car. But soon, like, they're in traffic. They're in military-guided traffic. Oh. And the parishioners are captured by the police. And Alton no. is taken to a government facility. No, no, Typical that's worse than facility. the cults. <laughs> the trio are stranded with no lead to Alton's whereabouts. Yeah. Okay? Government's the biggest cult there is. Let's right, man? go, Adam! <laughs> At the government facility, Alton sits in a big white room... And a room full of government officials and scientists watch him from behind two-way glass. They try to talk to him, but Alton insists that he's only going to talk to Sevier. They don't know how he knows his name. Cool. But they have to get him there, of course. All the other officials are forced to leave the room because he says he won't talk to anybody else. When they do, a static wave kind of goes through all the equipment in the watch room. And the, and the video recording of Alden in the room. The screen that shows Alden inside the watch room shows that he's sitting in the chair, but when Sevier looks up, he's standing near the glass Ugh. watching him. <laughs> Alden telekinetically opens the door and Sevier walks in. He says, I think you're a weapon, and the ranch thinks you're their savior. And Alden says, I'm not any of those things. I belong in another world. There are people there. And they watch us, and they've been watching us for a very long time, and I need to go where I belong. And Alden glows his eyes really big, and Sevier realizes that he needs to help him. Nice. Cut. 
Roy gets a call from a payphone, which that always like really interests me that mm. anybody from anywhere can just call a payphone. You, you know? don't have to know the number though. I thought, yeah, I don't know how that happens. I thought you just do like outgoing calls on payphones. No, you can call a payphone. That's crazy. It is, yeah. <laughs> like, who's going to pick it up? Like, you know. <laughs> a any, new friend. Anybody yeah. on the street. Wouldn't that be fun, like, to be in those? <laughs> what if you were just bored one day and you walked around picking up payphones? No, that's the plot of Phone Booth. <laughs> is it actually? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Like, like Colin Farrell shouldn't have picked up that phone. <laughs> Isn't, doesn't he, like, witness a murder or something like that? No, he's, he's like, you got to stay on the phone. He's trapped in the phone booth while Kiefer Sutherland makes him do bad things. <laughs> <laughs> like, Keeper Sutherland has a sniper rifle on him. He's like, what, you don't believe me? And then shoots off his ear. Yeah. And then is like, kill that pizza man from the phone booth. <laughs> Tell your wife you're cheating on her. <laughs> like, oh my god. Hold him hostage in a I phone booth. It. Is it a revenge flick or something? I think it's just like, I'm Keeper Sutherland. Okay. <laughs> Not the first time he's been that crazy. Yeah, I don't know if there's revenge. In it. There must be. Why does he know that he's cheating on Katie Holmes? Yeah. Why anything? <laughs> Sounds a lot like Why, that. Why? Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah, it's a lot like dance. that. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> so he gets the call from a payphone. It's Sevier telling him to meet him at a certain place. They meet him there, and he reunites Alton with the trio. Sevier, having figured out where, you know, the destination from Calvin's sermons are is... He warns them that he's had to tell the FBI yeah. uh-huh. prior to wanting to help Alton and that there's a five-mile security perimeter around the location. And they, they've made it to Florida. They're on the Florida panhandle now. Florida is where the special place is? Yeah. Florida? <laughs> I, like I totally thought they were heading west. <laughs> the Sunshine State. You're not wrong. I know. <laughs> he asks if he can go with them. Roy says no. <laughs> he does ask for their handcuffs, though, so that it can look like he was taken against their, his will. Oh. Makes sense. Um, It's really sweet that he wants to go with them because Adam Driver's character just seems like a really curious individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? He's not hardened by the government or anything like yeah. that. I-, I wanted him to be able to go with them, but... I understand. There's a lot of mistrust with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, whatever. Do what you gotta do. Alton's more important. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> they suit Alton and Sarah up in bulletproof vests that they have. There's only two left. Alton says, Dad, are you scared? And Roy says, yes. And Alton says, you don't have to worry about me anymore. And Roy says, I'll always worry about you. They drive, covering Alton in the back seat, like Sarah lays over top of him. I guess they're just, like, human shields for him. They don't care. They need him to survive. Yeah. Um, There's a bunch of military, like, roadblocks set up, and Roy barrels through (gasps) the car, with the car, through the roadblock, driving inside the perimeter, and the army scrambles to chase them. They swerve onto the side of the road, and Alton and Sarah exit the car, unseen by the soldiers, and run into the woods. What? We don't even have a... An E.T. car lift moment? No. Is that what you thought was going to happen? Yeah. It's an 80s homage. (laughs) Um, Just as they're about to disappear through the clearing, Roy yells, Alton! And Alton looks back, and they share one more look at each other, knowing that it's probably going to be their last. And then Sarah and Alton run on. Oh, Courtney. It's sad. Yeah. 
Roy and Lucas lead the army on a wild goose chase because they think that they didn't see them leave the car. Where'd they get all those keys? <laughs> they get all the keys? Poor U.S. government, they're always off on wild goose chases. <laughs> they even, like, run the car over some road spikes and pop mm. their tires, but they say they're going to outrun them until the tread comes off the tires. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> Jordy's like, yeah, try it. <laughs> I mean, your sister drove her car for a while. I, I really hope that tire. all four wheels are just so busted and they're, like, going at a snail's pace. And Michael <laughs> Shannon's like, we'll outrun them until we die. <laughs> Those suckers. And then it pans and they're just... <laughs> they're completely surrounded. Um, Alton and Sarah reach the edge of a swamp. Oh. Alton looks around this large open area. It's really pretty. It's like a big field, open swamp. This is the place. This is the place that they've been trying to get to this whole time. He's finally there. Alton's eyes glow and the ground starts to shake. It's a big earthquake. Suddenly, a gigantic dome of light explodes that engulfs much of Florida and, like, surrounding states. And we actually get to see it from, like, a view from space, how big it is and how, like, encompassing it is. When Sarah looks up, there are huge futuristic structures of a parallel world that cover the inside of the dome. Whoa. Everyone inside the dome can see them. Cool. They're like otherworldly and unique and ominous. Yeah. But they're like somehow familiar too. Eventually other beings of this world gather around Alton. They're like translucent beings of light and energy and resemble kind of like shapes of humans in a way. But it's really hard to see. Yeah. All you can see, like, really clearly is light from where their eyes should be and light from where, like, their trunk should be. Hmm. Lucas and Roy are driving and they can see the other world too, but the tires come off and their car flips upside down and they crash. Oh, no. Um, Sarah turns to look at Alton and he seems really contented and at peace and really sure of himself. And she smiles and nods, knowing that her son is where he belongs. The entire dome disappears, taking Alton with it. And everything is the way that it was, and Alton is gone. Damn. Man. Roy and Lucas are arrested. <laughs> Lucas is interviewed by the FBI, and he tells them the story, but they're like, now, now you, you say that there was a big dome of light. What are you talking about? And they're not very satisfied. And he says... I can tell you again, but it's going to be the same story every time because it's the truth. You all saw the same shit that I did. Yeah. Sevier then enters the interrogation room to interview him. And Lucas doesn't give away that he knows him, knowing that yeah. Sevier is probably going to try to help him. Yeah. Aww. Then we see Sarah in another motel room. She's cutting off her cult traditionalist long hair braid. And it looks like she's going to dye her hair too and mm. prepare to go like underground off the grid or something. And she seems really happy and liberated. Lastly, we see Roy. He's incarcerated. And he's also wearing an electro, like, what, what is this word? Electroencephalography. <laughs> <laughs> Can you come up with a synonym that you know? He has little, like, stickers on his head oh, attached yeah. to wire yeah. on his head. Aslo Pergaffi. <laughs> Uh, he watches the sunrise, and I actually didn't catch this the first time. I had to look it up, but if you look close enough, you can see that his eyes glow really faintly. Whoa. That's the end of the movie. 
Interesting. Well, is he stuck in, like, an asylum? Not if he's got magical powers and he can escape. <laughs> okay, couple fun facts okay. before we rate this. There's a ton of information online, like, interviews and stuff from the people in the cast mm-hmm. and from Jeff Nichols. And I watched this really awesome interview from Jeff Nichols, and this is what he said that he inspired the movie. He says that he typically writes on two tracks. One being kind of like the genre, heavy, plot, significant side. And one being the more personal, close to home side. Hmm. And he said this movie being a blend of the two, he hoped uh, if he wrote about something personal to him, it could resonate to others. So the inspiration for making this film is actually about his experiences of being a dad himself and having a son. That's sweet. He says how it's partly... This feeling of helplessness and this idea of giving over to this other person in your life who you do anything for but who you have, like, no control over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. That's why I like the dad stuff, like, I'm always going to worry about you stuff. It's like talking to, like, essentially an alien child, but it's really right. down to it's just father and son, mm-hmm. you know? Next one back, Joel Edgerton says one of his favorite things about Jeff Nichols' script is that he drops breadcrumbs of information about his characters throughout the film, and you don't know the whole story about each one. And that is, like, the thing that I loved about Take Shelter. Oh. You know, not everything is spoon-fed, and, and you don't know about a lot of stuff. Yeah, that, that movie, such commendable exposition. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it sounds like this one is, too. Like, it doesn't sound like anything is spelled out. No. Yeah. I think he just is okay with leaving things open. <laughs> yeah, some, some of the things that were pointed out in the interview is that we don't know a whole lot about Roy and Lucas's friendship outside yeah. of this time. Mm-hmm. We don't know what Sarah was doing prior to them meeting up with right. her. We don't really know a lot about what Alton's life in the congregation was like. Um, this is super cool. I got to watch some B-roll footage. They have a ton of B-roll footage of them shooting oh. on IMDb. And, like, you get to see Jeff Nichols directing, and you get to see them, like, doing scenes from the film, just, like, from out here. You see the cameras on them and stuff like that. I just found that super fascinating. Jaden, like, playing with Michael Shannon and stuff, and, like, giving Delighterton a high five. It's really cute. Um, I'd love to see baby Jaden. Yeah. He, in his interview, he's, like, trying to be, like, really, like, He's a very precocious kid. Yeah, yeah. It's really great. He says, actually, this is my last fact, in an interview with Jaden, he said that Kirsten Dunst told him that she started acting when she -hmm. was, like, his age, and that if he had any questions or needed any help or advice, that she would be happy to help him out. Very cute. Yeah. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it, you guys. Cool. Want to rate it? Mm -hmm. Rate. I have no idea if a drawing's going to come across, (laughs) but sure. Uh, Ratings time. Three, two, one. Okay. I don't oh, those, know, it's like a is face. It his kid's eyes, like, with light coming out? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I see That's a happening. smile. Yeah, if, maybe okay. if I delete the smile, that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like a crying But then number. this looks, this looks good. Like, just, <laughs> there's some blue eyes. I like the little, it looks like a face face. <laughs> okay, that's, pretend that's what I drew. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay, um, me, Kimmy, I gave it a 7.5. Kayleen, also 7.5. Courtney, 6.5. Okay. Nice. So I guess you go first? Sure. I have not seen this movie. Uh, I'm really excited to. And it sounds like it's got a nice cast. I trust this director. And 
that's a nice genre of film is both mm-hmm. like 80s homage as well as just like magical child what are we gonna do i like a lot of movies with that my only like low things from it is just maybe wanting to know the why i, I want to know why and where he's going and that sort of stuff and maybe it would have been helpful if it was more only the government is bad because they want our son and there's none of this cult stuff. Yeah. Like, it felt like there was too many villains in it, too many antagonists, and then somehow there were no antagonists as well, because it was just trying to get him somewhere. Mm-hmm. I would like to know more about, like, maybe how the dialogue was, or how, like, the production design was and stuff, so I am really looking forward to watching it. Yeah, so I gave it a 7.5. On the positive end of that is because it does sound very intriguing. I like all those actors. I feel like just the things that you were saying, even though you didn't necessarily give an opinion on his acting skill. Just some of the things you were saying the kid has to do sound pretty challenging for a kid. And I feel like maybe he does a really good job. It just seems like you wouldn't cast somebody with all these other actors to do things like that if you don't trust them. So I am excited to see that. I don't see anything of it being something I wouldn't like. Like I, That's why I didn't give it lower because I... I don't see myself walking out of that not enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And, and if it's above a seven, I'm going to enjoy it on some level. But yeah, I guess I just felt a little, I don't know how to feel about it. I think I need to see it for myself to really know how it affects me. Yeah, because mm-hmm. maybe like on paper, Take Shelter, it sounds very simplistic and just kind of like, that was the story, but it was it's an amazing movie to watch. Yeah. So maybe this movie will have that same effect. Yeah, like I can't really see the relationships yet. And, I, and I'm sure it seems like they're pretty subtle. In which case, I bet that it's more about their chemistry and that kind of a thing. So I gave it sort of middle high because I don't know, I don't think, until I see it. Yeah, so I feel exactly the same way as you feel. Mm -hmm. And also kind of like how you feel, Courtney, and I've seen this movie. There's not anything necessarily that I don't like. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's something missing. I just like don't really know what it is. And I think overall, it just feels like an indie movie that was given to a big studio. I see. Yeah. And it, and maybe if it wasn't, I don't know if anything much would have been changed. That's just what it feels like. Not, not a lot of crazy stuff happens. Like I said, it was a really low-budget film, so I don't think a lot could happen. I gave it a 7.5 because I like Take Shelter way more mm, than yeah. this movie. Again, not that I hated this movie. I think the cast is really great. I... I hope this director makes more stuff because he's awesome. And from the B-roll, he just seems like a really fantastic director. Like, he was really working with the actors and giving them, like, a ton of notes and really helping them figure out, like, how the scene was going to go. I think that's really generous. And he seems like just a really nice guy. Um, So, yeah, I couldn't give it higher than a than a 7.5 couldn't give it lower i'm i'm also not really sure how i feel mm-hmm. about this i generally liked it i don't know if that's super good though you yeah, know to that. like not have like a really grasping reason as to why i love this film mm-hmm. it is sci-fi and sometimes that takes more time and more viewings and yeah. stuff I, yeah i agree yeah. i think the thing that i liked the most about it was was the inspiration for the film it, it's definitely like a larger than life story but it really just came from um, Nichols' experiences as being a father to a yeah. son. I thought that was really sweet that he took his own life experiences and made it into a sci-fi 80s homage. That is really nice. Mm-hmm. Let's close this week with watch list ads and recommendations. Yeah. I'll go first. 
Uh, I'm going to add to my watch list Guns Akimbo. <laughs> that trailer came out a couple weeks ago, and I've known it's happening for a very long time, but since finding out about it, and since this trailer coming out, like I've said before, I really like Samara Weaving, and I'm excited to see her in something. She was also in my watch list for last week. The trailer kind of left me with more questions than answers, which is, makes me excited. <laughs> I don't necessarily know if it's going to be great, but it looks wild, and I like wild. We can always count on Daniel to commit. He's wild. <laughs> <laughs> and then my recommendation for the week is, it's a little obvious based on some of my predictions, but Stranger Things. I'm watching this with Dakota right now, because oh. I've already seen it all, and he's never seen it, and that's always fun. Okay. Adding to my watch list is The Invisible Man coming to theaters. <laughs> oh, question, which, because they barely show him in the trailer, but it's Lucas from Hill House, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Cool. I, I know. It looks kind of bad. It does. <laughs> I kind of still want to see it. I want to see it. Yeah. I love Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. I just like, Handmaid's Tale is my favorite TV show. I think she's fantastic in it. So I'd love to go watch her. Just like the plot looks kind of stupid. Yeah. But I still want to go watch it in the theater. I do as well. That seems like a theater movie. I think if I watch it at home, I'm going to rip it apart way more. Yeah. I'll, I might <laughs> give it some uh, extra points in the theater. And my recommendation, another sci-fi movie, Annihilation. Dope. It's so good. I really need to see it again. I would love to watch it I've again. I've only seen it once and I've had, you know, it's marinated a little bit. So... I think watching it a second time, I'll like it better. Uh, but it's also it's also great great to recommend. So yeah. Okay, Courtney here to say that adding to my watch list because I really would love to see the trailer for it more in theaters. It comes out in a month. Is a Quiet Place Part Two. Dope. My recommendation for the week is just gonna be like a silly because it's of the time and the last time that we did like a one or it was like I just recently saw this was Endgame so this time I'll just say it's of the time and I have tickets to go see it tonight is Birds of Prey. Oh you're gonna go see it again today? I can go see it again today. That's so fun. Yeah and I mean I got to talk about it earlier in our uh, questions for the week yeah. and I think it just slaps and punches <laughs> and kicks. Super good. Love it. I will follow your recommendation in the next weekend. Hell yeah. Well, join us next time when I, Courtney, explain all of David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Very excited. Very trippy. <laughs> Woo! Dee dee dee.